It's been mentioned many times that the Shalosh says that the Yomim Tevim which occurred during a certain week are connected to the Parsha reading, the Torah reading of that Shabbos. This Shabbos we have a reading of at least that year was the reading of Yud, uh, of Chukas and Bolok together in the week and actually on Yud Beis Tamuz. So in the connection between Yud Beis Tamuz and this week's parsha, there are three points to it. First of all, it's connected to parsha Chukas and whatever Chukas uh, stands for. Then it's connected to parsha Bolok and whatever that is. And then it's the fact that Chukas and Bolok come together. So they merge into one parsha, as is evidenced by the fact that we only call seven people. In other words, that the whole, it's mashed into one long parsha. It becomes merged into one parsha, and we call seven people, one aftaira. So there is something about chukas and bolok which allowed them to be merged into one parsha. So whatever that theme is, there is also, that too is connected to Yud Beis Tamad. So chukas, what does chukas mean? It means, the simple meaning of chukas means a law which is, transcends logic. We don't understand why that law has to be kept, what's the meaning of it, but we keep it anyway. What does that mean in Avedah Sa'adam? It means a person's dedication nefesh, with self-sacrifice. Self-sacrifice is a super rational thing. Naturally, a person is driven to protect themselves, to preserve themselves, not to allow themselves to be killed, not to do something which will undermine them as a person. Mesiris Nefesh drives them beyond that r- rational behavior to even be willing to give their lives for a certain principle, for a certain belief. And that explains also why we don't find in the Torah direct reference to the mitzvah of Mesiris Nefesh, that one must give their lives for certain things. Why isn't it spelled out in the Torah? Because Torah is based on Chachma, the Chachma Hashem. And this is something which transcends Chachma, and that's why it's only alluded to in the Torah. We find references to it, but it's not directly instructed in the Torah. And that's the connection between Chukas and Yud Beis Tamas. What's the reason that the Friedrich Rebbe was arrested, which led to the redemption of Yud Beis Tamas? Because he single-handedly went against all reason and rational behavior to stand up to a government which was a mighty government, and he's going to turn the tide. And he went to Messias Nefesh, and that's why they arrested him. So that's the connection. Now, the name of the seder is Chukas, not Chukas HaTayra, even though the, the word right next to Chukas is HaTayra, why doesn't it say Chukas HaTayra? Why do we call it Chukas HaTayra? It does say, but we don't call it Chukas HaTayra, we only call it Chukas. could be explained this way. The Chukah about which the, this Chuk, uh, which is discussed in this passage, which is the well-known Para Aduma, the red heifer. This chukah is, even in comparison to the other chukim in the Torah, of which there are many, this chukah stands out in such a way that in comparison to all the other ones, this one is a chukah. This one is the chukah. That's the one that's called in the Torah, Zois chukah Torah. This one is the chukah. That's the one that has to be known as a chukah, because in comparison to even all the other chukim, this stands out. As Shleim HaMelech said, all the other ones I understood ultimately I got to the bottom of understanding why all the chukim are important but this one 
Amarti achakma. I thought that I would be able to master it, to understand it, but it transcends me. It's beyond me. And that's why this chukka, this parsha is called chukas and not chukas atayra. Although it's true that all chukim transcend seichel, they are super logical, we can't really understand it, but it's, how do we look at them? There are, I don't understand why you can't eat milk and meat together. But it doesn't boggle my mind that you can't eat milk and meat together. I don't understand it. I trust, I figure, if I get smarter, if I was shleim ha-melech, then I would understand it. But para duma is not just beyond my ra- rational understanding. It is contrary to rational understanding. How could it be that the same when the para duma is sprinkled on somebody that is tamei mace, he becomes cleansed. He becomes ritually pure. Tar. But the person that prepared it, he becomes tamei. How could that? That's contradictory. That's why this is called chukas, not chukas atayra, that within the rational understanding of atayra, it's a chukah. But there is a higher rational rationale. But chukah is a chukah because it is essentially a chukah. And that's why, it's, that's why we call it chukah, because we're referring to absolute chukah, as I'll explain soon. The same is true also in the serious nefesh. There are two different types of Messias Nefesh. There is a Messias Nefesh which one sits down and consults the Shulchan Aruch and says, is this a situation in which I must display Messias Nefesh? And if, it's, if it is, so then he will, display, will go on Messias Nefesh. If it's not, then he will not. That is a measured Messias Nefesh. You have to examine the situation. You have to see what applies, what doesn't apply. Then there is another Messias Nefesh which is that a person is so driven by his connection to Hashem that he's not thinking what does the Torah say about my connection here do I have to practice Mr. Snevish? he's driven to, get to self-sacrifice for this principle and the reason is because a Yid's connection to Hashem transcends his connection through Torah it's even higher than what the Torah dictates the connection to Hashem is deeper than that and therefore in order to maintain connection to Hashem it transcends even what the Torah dictates is the proper response. And that's why that's the kind of Messias Nefesh that is called, that's a higher Messias Nefesh. And that aligns with Chukah rather than with Chukah Satayra. The earlier Messias Nefesh that we talked about is Chukah Satayra. How does the Torah describe Messias Nefesh? This is the Chukah, the absolute dedication to Messias Nefesh, to Hashem. And this is the kind of Messias Nefesh that the Friedrich Rebbe practiced in his Harbatzah Satayra. When he, the kind of spreading Torah that he was doing in Russia had many, many different ways in which he expressed it. He was sending Shachtim and Rabbanim to cities that need it. He was establishing school, uh, yeshivas for young uh, adults. He was building mikvahs. He was establishing Chadorim for young children to study Torah. But the main opposition, the thing that really got under the skin of the Soviets was not any of those things. It was his commitment to establish schools for young children, that they, they need to be taught and educated. Because they weren't so worried about the old people. They wanted to make sure that it gets cut off at the bottom, at the young level, and then in 20 years it's all over. So if that's the case, one could ask 
a good rational question. Why did the Friedrich Rebbe invest so much effort into starting Chadorim for children when he knew that this would poke the bear? He knew that they would not want to, to allow that. They would have allowed him to send the Shochtim, perhaps. That would be easier on that. That would be an easier issue. So how could he sacrifice sending Shochtim, Mikvois, Yeshivas, and so on for this hopeless it seemed hopeless that they would allow Chadorim to continue. Why would he sacrifice all that? And he could have gotten away with sending Rabbanim and the starting mikvahs. This he knew they wouldn't let him get away with, so why did he put so much effort into that? It seems irrational. And the reason for this is, as we said, that the Afrid Rebbe's Mesir was similar to what we said about Chukas rather than Chukas he knew that as the Nasi Yisrael, it was his responsibility to make sure there was a continuity of the Jewish people. The only way to do that is that if you don't have goats, if young kids, goats, as the Gemara says, there are no old goats. It has to start with the children. If you, and that's why, that's the only way that it can be done. If, even though it doesn't seem like it could have any success, because they're certainly going to try to stop it, but that's what is needed. So he didn't make the cheshman. He didn't make these calculations. Maybe I should step back from this and do something else which should be more successful. He said, I have to do what I have to do. Whether I will get through it, will I live through this or not, that's up to the Ebishter. Will it be successful or not, that's up to the Ebishter. Similar to what Hanani Meshol Vazari said to Nebuchadnezzar. He wanted them to bow down to the idol and if not, he'll throw them into the fire, fiery furnace. So they said, we don't know if Hashem will give us the merit to experience a miracle and allow us to walk out of the fiery furnace. But even if not, we will not bow down to the idol. What they were saying to him was, you will not be the one that kills us. If the Abishta decides that we have to die in the fire, he will have put us to death in the fire. It's not up to you we do what we have to do and he will do what he has to do and this type of Mesiris Nefesh was actually practiced by the Friedrich Rebbe in all the situations that he was a Rebbe he was a Rebbe for 30 years, 3 decades it was divided into 3 separate periods the first 10 years approximately was in Russia, in Soviet Union then he moved over to, uh, to Poland and he lived there for 10 years and then he lived in America for 10 years the first Mesiris Nefesh was without question the greatest Mesiris Nefesh because he actually had to give, be ready to give his actual life for it for the work he was doing there then came the second uh, 10 years in which he lived in Poland and there he saw his mission as there were many millions of Yidin that lived there a lot of Frumi Yidin hundreds of thousands or more of Frumi Yidin and he saw it as his mission to bring Chassidus to those people and even though they, it, they interfered because they, there were people, leaders that were as it says by Yosef, that his brothers were jealous of him and they wouldn't allow it but they knew that it was going to happen so the Friedrich Rebbe knew that this is his mission and this is what Eivishter wants him to do here so even though he was having opposition from within his own, from his brothers from his own people he still continued and persevered with great mysterious nefesh which is what needed, was needed then was the third period of his being Rebbe which is when he came to America we had to fight against the, the stream everybody believed that America was different and that over here that you can't have a successful Yiddishkeit and he had to stand up against that uh, 
and establish Yiddishkeit in America. That was another type of mysterious nefesh that he had to do. But each one of them had their own mysterious nefesh, and each one was different than the other. The first one, as we said, was where he had to actually give his life. And even more difficult than risking his own life was that he had to send others, the people that he sent into different places. They, he was risking their lives. Not only was it a theoretical thing that he was risking their lives, there were chassidim that were caught, and they were sent to Siberia, or even worse, and yet, the, the next day, the Friedrich had to appoint a new shliach to go to that place to fill that void. That is a greater mysterious nefesh for a, a person like a Rebbe than, give, than risking his own life. But in a certain sense, the mysterious nefesh that it took in Poland, where he had to fight against his own brothers, it's more difficult to, to, to stand up to your own, the criticism of your own people, over there, it's a go- the goyim of uh, the Russian government that, were, that he was fighting against. But right here are my own brothers, other chassidish leaders, and so on. That was, in a certain sense, even a greater mysterious nefesh that was needed. And nothing easier was the kind of mysterious nefesh that he needed in America to stand up against the conventional wisdom, which is that it's not going to work over here. And then even when he was successful in establishing a yeshiva and a cheder and a shul and a community, they said to him, okay, be happy with that. You know, fortify yourself within your community and you did well. And the Friedrich said, no, we have to implant Yiddishkeit in the entire country. Now, naturally, it's impossible that a person should be able to function in so many different areas with the same dedication. Because a person has an interest in a certain type of a project, and there he's passionate, and his, his nefesh is, is, is at its fullest. But when you do something which you're not as passionate about, it's, you know, you're not going to get the same level of Mesiris Nefesh. How is it that the Friedrich Rebbe displayed such Mesiris Nefesh all throughout? And the answer is because his Mesiris Nefesh came from the essence of his soul. He was functioning not in response to a certain thing, it came from within him, the Messias Nefesh sprung forth from the essence of the soul, and therefore he was a person of Messias Nefesh, and whatever he did displayed the same type of Messias Nefesh. It came from that level of Chukah. So that explains Chukah. So now we come to Bullock. What was Bullock? Bullock hated the Jews for no good reason. The Hashem had told the Yidin that they are not to start a war with Bullock. So he had nothing to be afraid of. He really wasn't, had never reason to hate them. He just hated them because he couldn't stand the sight of a Jew. Couldn't stand the thought of a Jew. And that therefore he went to all lengths to destroy the Jewish people. He knew that he couldn't do it himself, so he hired Bilam. He'll help him do it. And these were all, why did he do it? And the same type of thing happened also when that Friedrich Rebbe was arrested. The work that he was doing, as the Friedrich Rebbe writes in his letter of Yud Beis Tammuz, was actually legal. He was permitted to have a yeshiva. He was permitted to have a, a shaykhet and so on. These were not unlawful things. Yet the people, the people of the Jewish, uh, the Jewish department of this of the communists, they hated from a yidin. They hated Yiddishkeit. And therefore they did things which they were doing unlawfully by interfering with things that the Vidya was doing which were lawful because they hated it, similar to what Bullock was doing. And just like by Bullock and Bilam, it turned out that not only did they not get to harm the Yidden, but that they have Bilam had to give them a blessing. And no ordinary blessing, but great blessings. 
So also by the Friedrich Rebbe, he, not only did they not get to do what they harm him, but they even had to help him get out and then ultimately get out of the Soviet Union altogether. So that's the connection between Yudbeis Tammuz and the story of Bullock, the parish of Bullock. Then you have the way Bullock and Bilam come together. Bullock, on its own, he, even though there was no good reason for him to hate the Jews, but we can understand somewhat of why he was doing it, because he thought, as he said, they're going to come here, they're going to destroy the neighborhood, they'll uproot everything, just like an ox uproots a vegetable garden, and the people of Moyev were deathly afraid of the Jewish people. So, it had some level of rationale. But then there is another hate that comes to the Yidden. In other words, Bullock represents the hate of the Jewish people, which is Chukas. It's completely irrational. It doesn't make any sense for them to have this hate to the Jewish people. There's nothing that they were... There's no real reason why they hate it. Not only that, it goes against them. It's they're, what they're doing in expressing their hate and they're, they're trying to harm the Jewish people is so irrational because they know it's not going to work. Bullock and Bilam knew that it wasn't going to work. Bilam was told by Hashem, you're not going to curse the people. They are a blessed people. So he knew that all of his efforts would come to not, nothing. Yet he made every effort and he tried again and again to try to put a curse on the Jewish people. It's an irrational hate. Bullock is chukas he's Bullock for a chukas for no absolute, uh, no rational reason there is also however in the Aveda of Ebi Yid a little bit of this irrational attitude which is there are certain things that Friedrich Rebbe says in the Maim Abbas that there are certain what's called shtus de klipe one's, uh, one's commitment to do things in the specific way that the country says the etiquette of the country or you know lunch has to be at 12 o'clock and even though there's an important uh, uh, thing that has to be done no I'm in the middle of lunch I can't interrupt that but when it comes to your own to a shear your shear which is supposed to take place at 6 o'clock and you get a call so you wait 10 minutes or it's a long call so you know what we'll pick it up tomorrow so there is an irrational commitment to certain certain which makes no sense that you should be committed to it it's only because somebody somewhere decided that 12 is the right time for lunch and when it comes to Ketusha somehow there isn't this irrational so how do we counter this irrational behavior by being committed to our Ketusha in the same irrational way nothing will dissuade us from the time of the Shir and so on or whatever other holiness has to be adhered to beyond all reason and the same kind of chukas bolok combination happened by the Friedrich Rebbe by Yud Tamas as well. We know the story, the Friedrich Rebbe said that there was one of the people that arrested him, his name was Lulav, and he came from Chsidin. And he said, when he was, it was time to leave the Friedrich Rebbe's apartment to be, go to prison, so he said, I'll take your bag. My father used to carry, my grandfather used to carry your grandfather's bag, I'll carry your bag. Of course, the Friedrich Rebbe did not allow him but this irrational behavior where he himself acknowledges that this is the Rebbe, he once referred to him as the Rebbe, and yet he's doing what he's doing, he arrests him and he subjects him to such pain and suffering, so it's the irrational the chukas of Balak, of the hate that they were, and the harm that they were trying to inflict on the Friedrich Rebbe and because the Friedrich Rebbe countered it with his incredible mysterious nefesh you know, beyond rational and serious nefesh, that's why ultimately, as it says in the Aftayra, they were all 
destroyed and they had to acknowledge that the Friediger Rebbe can go free and they even helped him to go to freedom and that this should happen of course uh, the ultimate of this will be when the month of Tammuz will be turned into a month of celebration the Yom, you know, Yeshiva Asaf Tammuz will turn into a Yom Tev as it says when Mashiach comes may it happen speedily in our days